verse 6. By the time we're done with this this month, we should, we should have this easily memorized. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 is a verse that you should be familiar with if you don't already know it. Let's read it together. We'll read it two times. Verse, chapter 9, verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Let's read that one more time. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Amen. Kids, you can be dismissed. You're all, you're all going with Brother James this morning. So follow Brother James out. All right. Goodness. God is good, isn't he? I felt bad for, for Hannah. She, uh, she did not want to miss out on the, the Christmas party that uh, her class was having yesterday. And she woke up with a fever in the morning. And this is her third, third year in a row uh, with, that she's missed a Christmas party because she got sick. And she was sad. But God is good. Amen. No matter, what's, no matter what goes on, no matter what we face, the truth is, it, Christmas isn't about a party. It isn't about the presents. It isn't about all these material things. Christmas truly is about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our text this morning is right where you've already turned, so hopefully you're still there. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Uh, let's read it one more time, or I'll read it one more time as we we'll seek the Lord uh, for help, and then we'll, we'll get into the message. It says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this day. God, I thank you for the, the, your son that was given. God, I thank you for the, the fulfillment of the promise that he wasn't just born a baby, Lord, but that he, your son, Jesus, came to die in this on this earth for us to take our place. God, I pray this morning that you'd help me to, to uh, rightly expound or explain your word. And uh, God, that you might receive all the glory. I pray that you'd help me to lift up Christ, have you behind the cross. Lord, help us to see Jesus. And we'll thank you and praise you for all that you do. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I love this passage. It, it, it's familiar to me. We hear, it, we hear it around every Christmas, whether or not I preach the message on it or you've heard it. If you ever, if you ever watched, I believe it's the Charlie Brown Christmas special, uh, it's in there as well. Uh, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Now, we have to take, uh, take context, uh, the context of the passage of what's going on and understand what's going on. In the previous chapters, in Isaiah chapters uh, 6, 7, 8, uh, uh, there's uh, there's much talk of the judgment to, to come and the battles that are going to take place. And they're uh, uh, speaking specifically of the, the people of Israel. They're going to be in a very dark period of time. It's a, uh, they're going to be uh, 
there will be much persecution and much struggle that they're going to go through uh, during that time. Uh, but when it gets to chapter 9, and he, we see in the previous verses, and we talked a little bit about this uh, last week, but uh, there's uh, a, a ray of light that's being shown out for them, a, 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 a beacon of hope. And we see that beacon mentioned here in verse number 6, because something's going to happen in the future. Now, this was written uh, 700 years before the birth of Jesus Christ. Uh, this is a prophetic scripture. Uh, and, uh, God was uh, giving it by, uh, to, to Isaiah so that he could then write it out by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit for us so that we could see what was to come. And there are there's two separate prophecies that are, that are brought out here in this passage. The first part of the prophecy in verse number 6 is, For unto us a child is born. Speaking of the, the physical birth of, the Lord, uh, of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, uh, if you read through the, book of, through the Gospels, you read through the, the book of Luke, uh, uh, an angel appears unto Joseph, and an angel appears unto Mary and tells them that, that, that the Mary is going to, to, to carry a, a child. The Bible tells us that, that the Holy Spirit of God moved upon her, and in her was, was, uh, was placed a, a, uh, the Christ child. Bible says, unto us a child is born. It's prophesied that uh, he would be born of a virgin in the book of Isaiah. Uh, and, and, and it was fulfilled uh, on that day uh, many, many years later, 700 years later. Aren't you thankful that, that, that Christ was born? Because if, if Christ hadn't been born, guess what? Christ couldn't die. If, if Christ hadn't come, there would be no fulfillment of the promise of God upon us. We would still be at enmity or at war with God. We would still be in our sin. We would still be under judgment. But thank the Lord for, for, for the people of Israel and thank the Lord for the people of the entire world that, that God sent his son to reconcile mankind to him. And it started with the fulfillment of the first prophecy, for unto us a child is born. We celebrate Christmas as the, as the first advent, the, the first coming of, our, of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, where God, uh, who, who, was, a, uh, who was, a, was a spirit, a God who existed before time began, before, before uh, this world began, the Bible says, in the beginning, God was. John 1 tells us that, that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. God is not singular, God is plural. There is, not, not, when I say that, I don't mean that there are gods. I mean that there is one God in three persons. We know them as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But they took counsel together beforehand, uh, before the creation of the world. In fact, uh, it's recorded, some of it's recorded in, the, in, the, in Genesis where they said, let us make man in our own image. That was God speaking to the other persons, the Father, the Sons. In fact, Colossians tells us that that for him all things were created, and by him all things were created, and because of him all things continue on. They consist. And so, so Christ had his hand in creation, but he who was co-equal with God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, according to Philippians chapter 2, humbled himself and became like a man. He was born as a little baby. We've all seen babies, weak small, hungry, crying, those little tiny things that bring joy and no sleep. Christ was born as a baby. 
the first time he came, he came as a baby. For unto us a child is born. The second re- reference here is not the fulfillment, I, don't, uh, I believe, is not the fulfillment, or was not fulfilled in the birth of the Savior, but in his death. For unto us a child is born. For unto us a son is given. The word given is different. It, it means something separate. Uh, then the, to be born is to, to, to be begotten, and Jesus was the only begotten Son of God. But he was given to us. It means he was bestowed upon us. He was, he was delivered up for us is one of the, the, the uh, definitions. And can I say that Jesus Christ was delivered up for you and I? He was delivered up and placed upon the altar of the cross. And while he was born a baby, he died a sinless man. 100% God, 100% man. Uh, in him dwelt all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, but he died in our place. He, was, uh, he took our place. It was, uh, we were to be the ones who were to die on that cross. We were not on that cross, but to die and suffer the wrath of God. But, but Christ died for us. The Bible says the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. For unto us a son is given. Now this prophecy looked forward to the birth of Christ, it looked forward to the death of Christ, but it's also looking forward to something that has yet to be fulfilled. The, the next part of this verse says, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. Jesus uh, didn't come to reign on this earth as, uh, as king that first time he came to this earth. He came to die. But the Bible tells us he's coming again. We have the first advent, and, that, and we're talking now about the, the second advent, the second coming of Christ. And there will come a day when the trumpets will sound, when, when Jesus Christ comes back and he's riding on a white horse, and he doesn't come uh, uh, meek and mild, but he comes with war, and he will one day rule forever and ever. Praise God. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And we look forward to that day. But as we see this, this, this prophecy, he says, he, the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And we looked at these names, and it says he'll be called these things. He'll be called Wonderful. And isn't he a God that is wonderful. We talked about how he was wonderful and what he was and what he is and what he one day will be. Last week, today, we're going to take the next name that he shall be called Counselor. We're going to break it down a little bit. And there is a wisdom and there is an understanding and there is a knowledge that, is, that we see here in this name that can only be applied to Jesus Christ. As we look at, at our world today and the governing heads of our world, there is, and it, craziness is, <laughs> is, is the only way that I can describe our, our governments. They, they think they have all the answers. And they'll run, and, and listen, I'm not preaching a political message. I'm not trying to get political at all. But we can see the confusion and the hypocrisy and the lies. And, the, and they'll say one thing to, to get your vote, and then they get there, and it's just like this machine that runs. And no matter what the people say, the machine does its own thing. And even if they go in with the right, the, the right thoughts and the right decisions, the right heart, uh, they run into this machine that they really have no power over, and they get kind of swallowed up and 
eaten by it. And there's, there is a confusion. And there is a lying about one another. And there's just this mass hysteria of foolishness, to be honest with you. And it doesn't matter who sits in the White House. It doesn't matter who sits in the Senate or the God's in control of these things. We understand that. But, and God has ordained our, the governments and those who sit in power and we're to pray for them. But our hope isn't in them. Our hope wasn't in Trump and our hope isn't in Biden and our hope isn't going to be in whoever sits in there next. We look at this word counselor. The word counselor is one who gives advice. One who is authorized by natural relationships or by birth or office or profession to advise another in regard to his future conduct and, and measures. Ahithophel was David's counselor. His mother was his counselor to do wickedly. As you look, look throughout the Bible, it talks of different counselors, and here specifically speaking of the government, but as we stop and think about it, the, uh, since the 1950s, the increase in the the, in, uh, the word use of the word counselor has dramatically increased because there's a, a, a better understanding and there's a rise in mental illness, depression, anxiety, and schizophrenia and bipolar. And the, the, the older I get, the more I see it. In fact, since COVID, it has dramatically increased. Some, here's some statistics. The number of people looking online for help with their mental health increased between 2019 and 2021. In 2021, over 5.4 million people took a mental health screen representing nearly a 500% increase over the number of people from the year, from the year 2020. More youth are struggling with their mental health and are seeking support online. 45% of individuals in the U.S. took a screen in 2021. Uh, 40% of those were between the ages of 11 and 17. The largest increase in the percentage of people uh, scoring positive uh, on these tests uh, were, on a parent, were on the parent and youth screens. Uh, indicating a large increase in the percentage of youth experiencing emotional, attentional, or behavioral difficulties during the pandemic. There are also a significant increases in the percentage of people scoring at risk for PTSD, severe anxiety, uh, psychotic-like experiences between those years. Listen, uh, the, uh, suicide numbers are up. Depression is up. Anxiety is up. Fear is up. Uh, it, it is uh, crazy the amount of people that are struggling mentally and emotionally in these times. But aren't you glad that we have a God who uh, we can describe our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, as counselor. Now, the previous name, Wonderful, that we looked at last week, we can, we can link that to this because the truth is, because he is wonderful, all he does is wonderful. It, it, we're describing his nature. And all, listen, there, it, 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 as we stop today and meditate upon the, 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 the majesty and the wisdom uh, that is found in Jesus Christ, it should cause us to wonder. We should find some comfort in who he is. In light of the statistics, uh, we need to stop and just meditate on our Lord and Savior. We're going to look at him in three different ways this morning. Number, number one, we're going to look at the attributes of the counselor. We're going to look at the attractiveness of the counselor and the ability of the counselor. 
First, take notice of the attributes of our, of our counselor. Uh, he is one who gives advice, one who gives counsel. Now, let's just say this. There are, there are people that give bad advice. Not all advice is good advice. Not all counsel is good counsel. But Jesus Christ gives good counsel. Romans 11, verses, verse 33 and 34 says this. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counselor? I, I thank the Lord that he is not someone who is in need of counsel, but that his wisdom and his knowledge, his understanding is well above, far beyond, infinitely above any one of us. You could take all of the brightest minds in this world and, and add their IQ up together and add their knowledge up together and add uh, the, their advice up together, and it is nothing compared to what God, the knowledge and the wisdom of God. Colossians 2, 2 and 3 says this, that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love and unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding for, to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hid all the treasures of of wisdom and knowledge. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. As we look at the attributes of Christ, notice first that uh, uh, Christ is full of wisdom. Christ is full of wisdom. Colossians 2.3 said, In him are hidden not some of the treasures, not most of the treasures, but all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. James 3, 15 and 17 says this, the wisdom that descendeth not from above, th this wisdom, speaking of the earthly wisdom, descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensually, sensual, devilish. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. There, there is much wisdom out there. All you got to do is ask somebody's opinion, and they're more than happy to give it to you. I always found it interesting, uh, as I worked in the fire department, and as I worked in EMS, uh, the, 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 uh, the percentage of firefighters and the percentage of, of EMS workers, and I'm sure it's the same for police officers, the, the number of, of, of their marriages that fall apart is astronomically high. The average number is around 50% just of everybody, uh, but for them, uh, I'll be honest, uh, there are very few. It's almost like Hollywood, uh, where, where they get married and the marriages fall apart. And partly that has to do with the stress and uh, the, the hours, and there's much to it, I'm, uh, I, 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 I'm sure of it. Uh, but I always found it funny when somebody, was, when somebody who'd gotten married and was working in those fields that was struggling in the marriage, they would always talk to their coworkers and asked for their advice on what they should do, but they were talking to people who had been married and divorced two and three times. And Don't get your advice from people that don't know what they're talking about. Don't come and ask me how to fix your car, because guess what? I could give you all the advice I got, and your car still ain't going to be fixed. As we look through this list there in in. Uh, in James chapter 3, it talks about the, the earthly wisdom. It's descended from above. It's earthly. It's sensual. It's, sensual, it's devilish. Uh, there, are, uh, there are those that would give people uh, advice, and it may sound good to our ears. It may uh, uh, please us, uh, but it isn't good. I've been told, hey, go live it up. 
Go experiment. Those things never turn out well. But let's look at the wisdom of God. Verse 17 of James chapter 3 said this, but the, but the wisdom that is from above, that's God, the wisdom of God, is first pure. It's described as pure. It means it's, it's untainted by worldliness, selfish gain. It's uncontaminated with opinion, but it is instead characterized by the very light, life, love of God. Any advice that a man can give you that is of this world or earthly is contaminated. By our opinions, by our thoughts, by our feelings, by our emotions. Uh, uh, The Bible says that our hearts are, 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 are wicked, and who can know it? And if I speak to you from my heart, I've been told to follow my head. I've been told to follow my heart. I've been, listen, those, the, the, the world will lead us down the wrong path, but the Word of God is untainted. The wisdom of God is pure. We don't need to worry that, that we're, it's going to lead us down the wrong path or it's going to cause us to stumble and fall. We're going to find ourselves having followed the wisdom of God, and we're going to one day wish, man, I wish I had just done what the world said to do. I've heard a lot of people say that about following the world's wisdom and when their marriage falls apart or when their kids are struggling or when their life seems to be falling down around their ears. I wish I hadn't made the decisions that I, I had because the world will always lead us down the wrong path. Psalms 1 says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the ways of the ungodly, nor standeth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. God's wisdom, Christ's wisdom, is described as pure. Secondly, it's described as peaceable. The wisdom of God brings peace to our spirits. I have seen an increase, not just in Have you watched the news over the last 10 years? I try not to either. In fact, I, I, I almost refuse to. Now, you say, well, I don't turn on the news, but you, you scroll social media. That's the new news source anyways for most people. It isn't any better. How many, how many times have you watched the news or read the newspaper or scrolled social media and come away thinking, oh, I feel better now? No? Do you know that the, the algorithm on, the, on social media uh, is, is intentionally, uh, it will feed you things to get you to come back over and over again? How, you all, how, how many of you all remember when uh, we, there was uh, the, the, the few patients that came back from Africa that had Ebola? You guys remember that? Some of you do. I was working in the medical field, and there was a woman who was in Massachusetts, flown into Massachusetts, and she came to Maine. You remember that was in the news? Yep. So I worked in the medical field, and all I can think of is I'm going to run into a patient that has Ebola. And if you've seen any of the, uh, that stuff is nasty. They bleed from every orifice of the body, and it, it's not, a, it's not I'm, I'm not going to get into it, but it's, I was afraid. 
And every time I clicked on one of those articles that showed up in my feed, guess what Facebook did? He wants to read about this. Let's give him some more. And all I saw was article after article after article. I'm thinking, this world's going to, we're all going to die of Ebola. It was stoking my fears. Channel, uh, whatever channel you watch, CBS, Fox, CNN, guess what? You know how they get their ratings? By getting you to come back. And they're going to stoke your fears. They're going to feed you what you want to hear, uh, whether it's conspiracy, whether it's, uh, listen, they're going to feed you what you want to hear so you keep coming back. It's going to stoke your fears. And you can sit around at work, or you can sit around at, with your family, and you can meditate on those things, and you can think on those things, and it will only get you more fired up and more caught up, and, and, but it will never bring peace to your soul. But you know what does bring peace to your soul? The Word of God. The counsel of God. In Mark chapter 5, uh, we, we, we read of a man called the wild man of Gadara. Verse 1 says, And they came unto the other side of the sea, Jesus and his disciples, into the country of the Gadarenes. And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs. And no man could bind him, no, not with chains, because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces. Neither could any man tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. Jesus comes across the, uh, the, the, the sea, he gets off uh, the, this boat uh, in the area of the Gadarenes, and a man who lives in the, the tombs, who lives amongst the dead, uh, comes out. And hey, listen, the Bible talks about uh, uh, he was a wild man. Uh, uh, he's, he's unclothed. He's, he, he's untamable. Uh, they've done everything they, that, they, that they could to control him. They've tried to bind him with chains and with fetters. And every time they got a hold of him, every time they put clothes on him, he would rip them off. Every time they would put those chains them he would break the chains do you know how strong you have to be to break chains it, it would cause a disturbance a disruption and listen people were afraid of him people would have nothing to do with him because he was out of his mind he was possessed by a devil but if you read through here, uh, if we read through it for sake of time, we won't. Uh, uh, Jesus uh, disembarks off this boat. He sees this man, and he has a conversation, not with the man, but with the devils that, 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 that embody this man. And, and, and he casts them out. And in verse 15, and they came to Jesus. And see him that was possessed with the devil, and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind. What, what, what they could not control, what they could not tame. Listen, they had, I'm sure, got together and come up with these plans. They, they were going to do their best they could to, to bring peace to this man or bring, bring peace to themselves. But nothing was able to do that until Jesus came along. Jesus cast out the demon. Jesus brought peace uh, to him. And he sat there clothed in his right mind, worshiping the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But did they care? I don't know about you, but if I saw somebody who had been crazy and I was afraid of that person, and I saw them in the right mind, I might wonder, what, what happened here? But do you know what they wondered? Since verse 16, and they that saw it told them, how it befell 
to him that was possessed. They said, what, this is what Jesus did with the devil. And also concerning the swine, how the swine ran into the ocean. And they began to pray him to depart out of their coasts. Can you just go home? We don't want you here anymore. It's amazing how, how, how the world can see the peace uh, in the hearts and lives of, uh, of a child of God and see how they can go through the, some of the greatest trials and tribulations because it does rain on the just and the unjust. But as a child of God, you know what I can have in the midst of tribulation, in the midst of my trials, in the midst of a cancer diagnosis, in the midst of losing my home, in the midst of losing my job? You know what I can have while the world is falling out around me? Peace that passeth all understanding. And the world doesn't understand it. They, they, they don't want to hear how we can receive peace uh, through God. They just want us the message of the gospel out of here. John 14, 27, in his, as he spoke to the disciples just before he left, he says this, Peace. I leave with you my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Philippians 4, 6 and 7 says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep you, keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. The wisdom of God is, brings peace. also described in that verse, verse 17 of James 3. First pure, then peaceable, and then gentle. Gentle. Or gentle uh, means, it doesn't mean that, that we, when we think of, of, of uh, gentleness, we think of something soft. But Jesus wasn't soft. He was a carpenter. He lifted heavy things. You ever shaken the hand of a carpenter? They, they have tough, calloused hands. It wasn't somebody who, who, didn't, who, who slept on a feather bed and, and with, with a nice big pillow, and the Bible says he had no roof for his head and a rock for a pillow. That's a pretty tough guy. But he's also described as gentle and meek. He, he was one who, who, who had power. In fact, he was God. He had all the power in the universe. But he never used it, not in a wrong manner, not in a hateful manner. Now, uh, to say that he never did anything that, 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 that uh, people should be afraid of, he didn't read the part where he flipped the tables and chased people around with a whip. He could be angry and sin not. The Bible tells us to do that, and we see his righteous anger. But he's gentle. A lot of times when... When, when, when we're asked our opinion, or when we, sometimes we, we're not asked, when people give an opinion or they give advice, it's sometimes, many times, unsolicited. And it's given in a spirit of, this is what you need to do, and if you don't do it the way I'm telling you to do it, then you're stupid. It can be an affront, it can be abrasive, it can, it can be hurtful, and not in a gentle way, but Jesus was gentle. Matthew chapter 8, verse 1 when, uh, through 3 says, When he was come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him, and behold, there came a leper and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will. Be thou clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. You have a man who had a disease, a a disease that was not hidden from the eye. We remember the woman who touched the hem of his garment, uh, who had an issue of blood for 12 years. She was unclean, but nobody could tell. 
It was an invisible infirmity, at least to those that were around her. But if you had leprosy, you were an outcast. If you had leprosy in those days, you weren't allowed to live or dwell amongst other people. You were, you were cast out. You had to walk around shouting, unclean, unclean, lest somebody come near you. This afternoon, we're going to talk about uh, four lepers who had to sit outside the city. They, they would have colonies of places where these people would gather because they couldn't be with, with their families. They couldn't be in their homes. It was a terrible disease. Their, their, their flesh would literally fall off. Fingers and toes and even today, there are leper colonies. Jesus, instead of running away, instead of looking at this person with disgust, instead of saying, you know what, you stay over there, I'll heal you from a distance. compassion and gentleness. He didn't back away. He came close. And for a man who probably hadn't been touched since the first time he saw that he had leprosy, in love, Christ touched him. Listen, we live in a, in a world today where people want to keep us away with a pole or keep somebody that they don't figure is good or clean. The wisdom of God is pure. The wisdom of God brings peace. The wisdom of God, we see Christ's gentleness. Luke 18, 15 through 16 says this, And they brought unto him also infants, that he would touch them. But when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. Here, uh, uh, here you have a, uh, young children. Now, you have a, 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 Jesus uh, was a teacher, and many came to him, sick and blind, and others came to hear and these people brought their children, their infants, because they were hoping that he would bless them. But what are the disciples said, listen, he doesn't have time for your kids. Not, he doesn't have time for games. But Jesus didn't say, you're right, I don't want these kids around me. I've got too much to do. Instead, he rebuked the disciples. This is verse 16, but Jesus called them unto him. Can you imagine? He's sitting down. On a rock, and you have a little one like Zeke or Hannah or Hadley in the middle of, of, of his teaching. He says, Come here. He picks that child up and he puts him on their lap. Gentleness. Gentleness. Isaiah 42 3 says, A bruised reed shall he, Jesus, not break. And the smoking flax shall he not quench. He shall bring forth judgment and truth. In the book of James, it says that we're to ask. Actually, turn over there with me if you would. James chapter 1. Here we, we're instructed by James that we can actually ask for wisdom if we don't have any. Imagine that. We should probably do more of that. Verse 5 says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God. They give it to all men liberally. Notice this phrase, and upbraideth not. You know what it means to upbraid? You ever had somebody ask you for something and you thought, you should know this already. And you give them a hard time? That's what it's talking about. God understands, Jesus understands our frailty. 
There, there wasn't a, a single person in his ministry here on this earth that came to him and asked him for help that he said, you know, you really ought to do this on your own. Jesus always healed. Jesus always worked. You know why? Because of his gentleness and his mercy and his compassion. With compassion. The wisdom of God, uh, uh, when we ask for it, God gives it to us, and he gives it to us liberally, but he doesn't punish us. He doesn't speak harshly to us. Because his wisdom is gentle. His wisdom is full of mercy and fruits. As we typically approach others, many times it's critical, overbearing, unforgiving. But not so when we approach Christ. We come to him in our need, and he supplies. We come to him in our brokenness, and he heals. We come to him humbled by our sin, and he forgives. He does not leave us as we are, but instead, he regenerates us by his spirit. In place of hatred, there is love. In place of sorrow, there is joy. In, in place of unrest, there is peace. Galatians 5, the fruits of the Spirit. In the wisdom of God is all the fruit of the Spirit. His wisdom is without partiality. Now you and I, the way that we're wired, we look at our own experiences, our own ideas, our own beliefs, and those, those thoughts, those feelings, those, they, they taint whatever advice or counsel we might give. Sometimes our counsel might be different from one person to the other, but aren't you glad that God is not a respecter of persons? It tells us that in Acts chapter 10, verse 34. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth, I perceive that God is not no respecter of persons. He's just, he's unchanging in his judgment. We can trust him to be fair in his dealings with us because he deals with all men the same. He doesn't look at Zach and I differently. He sees us both in need of mercy. He didn't look at Peter different than he looked at Judas. Think about that. They sat there at that last supper. He didn't, he knew what Judas was going to do. He never treated him differently. The wisdom of God is without partiality and is without hypocrisy. Many times the counsel that is given, that's earthly counsel, the counsel given by man is refuted by the lives that they live. They'll tell you to do one thing, but then they live differently. We call that hypocrisy. But Christ was never one who doubted. Christ was never one who wavered. Christ was never one who preached something that he did not do himself. In fact, the Bible tells us he was tempted in all things, like as we are, yet without sin. Christ is full of wisdom. Christ is also full of knowledge. Again, Colossians 2.3, in whom are hid all the no treasures of wisdom and knowledge. The second uh, attribute is, is knowledge. 
And we know that God has all wisdom. We also know that God has all knowledge. And there are some people that are well-educated, and then there are some people that are educated in the school of hard knocks. And we, we, we gain knowledge in, through our experience. We, we, we gain knowledge through, through uh, our study. We gain knowledge through, through life, through school, through education, through all kinds of different things. But our knowledge is limited. I don't care who you are. If you're, if you're Albert Einstein, guess what? There is a limit, and none of you are, but uh, don't take that as an offense. I'm just saying none of you are actually Albert Einstein. He's dead. Uh, but but <laughs> even his knowledge was limited. In fact, he was honest in saying there were many things that he didn't understand. But the knowledge of God is unlimited. There is not a single thing that he does not know. And specifically in the context of this passage of Scripture there in Colossians 2.3, it's speaking about the saving knowledge of the gospel. God is omniscient in all things. He knows all things. Specifically, this verse is talking about the saving knowledge of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But in reference to you and I, there are some things that we can learn. God knows everything about us. Everything. There is no dark place in your mind, your heart, that God does not have access to. God knows your history. God knows your present. God knows your future. And, 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 and aren't you, isn't it, it's necessary to be able to give somebody good counsel to have knowledge of the situation or, and the individual. When I was a paramedic, if I, when I got to, the, to, to somebody's house after they called 911, normally after I drove really fast because that's fun, and, uh, uh, but I get to their house, I would have a list of questions about uh, their past medical history, the, their medication list, all these things, and, and then the, the current signs and symptoms, the things that have happened in the past couple days and now that led them to the point where they called 911 so that I could then guess as to what was going on. And sometimes it was easier than others, and sometimes I didn't have a clue. Why don't we just get in the truck and I'll take you to the, to the hospital where they're going to ask you all the same questions. Do you know why? Because they, they, they need to have an understanding of all the things that are going on. If, you lied to, if somebody lied to me about pain, and it, this happens several times, I, 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 it drove me nuts. I don't know how many times. Like, uh, Are you having any chest pain? No. Okay. Have you had any chest pain the last few days? No, no, no chest pain at all. And you get to the hospital, and I'm giving a report to the nurse, and I tell them this, and the, and the nurse would then turn and ask the same questions I did, exactly the same way I did, and then we'll go, oh, I've been having chest pain for three days. Ah! I can't properly diagnose if I don't have all the information. God has all your information. He doesn't need to go through a list, a sample list of questions to find out your history. He knows your history. He knows your thoughts. He knows your fears. He knows your worries. He, he knows how many hairs you have in your head and how many you don't. He, 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 knows, he knows everything about you, every place that you've ever gone, every thought that you've ever had. He knows you. He knows your situation. But that's a good thing because God is good and merciful. Now, if God was just a God of judgment and there was no mercy in him, if he was not good, it would be something to be afraid of. But God, who is rich in mercy, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. Thank God for his mercy. But man, he knows you. 
knows you. He knows everything about us. Not only does he know everything about us, but God has the answer to every problem. I don't have all the answers. I don't have hardly any answers. And any, any good answers I have, guess where I got them from? The Bible. We're limited in our, in our knowledge and our ability to, to deal with the situation. But God is not limited. God is always able to heal. God is always able to work. God is always able to bring peace if we come to him. God has all knowledge. He knows everything about us. He knows the answer to every problem. And the darkness of sin is expelled by the entrance of the gospel of light. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says, says this, For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Did you see that? To give light of the knowledge of the glory of God. The previous verses says that if the gospel be hid, it's hid to them that are lost. That the God of this world has blinded their eyes so that they don't see the light of the gospel. But the light of that gospel will shine in your heart. It, uh, it, it will open their eyes. will tell them and expose to them. That's what the gospel exposes, our sin. We want to hide it, don't we? Is there anybody here that's willing to stand up and tell us all the evil that you've ever done? Nobody's willing to stand up and tell us any of the evil we've ever done, right? Every bad thought. Come on, some of us have had bad thoughts this morning. Some of you all were fighting with each other on the way here. We're complaining about something when you got here in your heart or mind. Listen, I'm just just saying, God sees all that. God has a way of revealing that through the light of the gospel, through the light of his word. He has all knowledge. George Mueller said this in reference to seeking God's wisdom and God's knowledge. He says, remind the Lord Jesus Christ that he is the counselor to the church of God. He will be, in your case, counselor and guide and will direct you. The Lord will prove himself both counselor and good. We've talked about the the attributes of the counselor. I'm going to run through these next two as quickly as I can for sake of time. Number two, the attractiveness of the counselor. The attractiveness of the counselor. Each of the titles in this passage uh, there in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7, uh, they emphasize the, the ability of the Savior to administer the government which is placed upon his shoulders. He will win the hearts of every nation due to his wise and masterful government. Think about it. There is going to come a day when Jesus reigns supreme, when, when, when he is, is king of kings and lord of lords, and, and, and his wisdom and his counsel will bring every nation to come to him, to worship him at his feet. In the, book, in the Old Testament, uh, uh, we, 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 we see the most wise man who ever lived. Uh, his name was Solomon. And a woman, the queen of Sheba, the Bible says, came to, to, to test his knowledge and to test, to see if, if all that she had heard about him was true. And she found it to be so. One day, every nation and tongue under heaven will converge around the throne of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the one who is greater than Solomon. He is attractive. Describing his magnetism and drawing of people, Mark in chapter Mark, Mark chapter one verse 
45 says this, but he went out and began to publish it much and to blaze abroad the matter, insomuch that Jesus could no more openly enter into the city, but was without in a desert place, and they came to him from every quarter. Jesus is the only one in the universe uh, who, who could stand there among men and say, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Uh, people came to him from everywhere. When he tried to get away, they followed him out in the middle of the desert. They came to him from everywhere. He attracts people wherever they are. He attracts people wherever they are. Speaking prophetically, we see that, that he will be gathering all the people. Genesis 49 verse 10 says this, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, speaking of the throne, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come, and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. They'll all come to Christ. He attracts people whoever they are. Jesus himself said in John 12, 32, And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. Men and women from all walks of life will come to him. From uh, the respected Pharisee like Nicodemus to the despised tax, tax collector Zacchaeus. Uh, in fact, it's, it's been the, the history of the church, uh, the Jews, the Gentiles, the masters, the slave, the rich, the poor, the educated, the unlearned. They've all been drawn together to worship at his feet. Wherever they are, whoever they are, he's, they're attracted by him. And he attracts people whatever they are. Again, Acts 10 says that God is no respecter of persons. Theologians sought his wisdom. Sin-sick souls sought his counsel. And when his enemies attempted to trap him in his words, they all came back saying, no one's ever spoken like this before. Christ, as a counselor, is attracted to all. But lastly, I want to look at his ability as a counselor. His ability. He has the ability to analyze the condition of every heart. While men look on the outward appearance, God looks on the heart. While we can put on a facade, while we can, while we can uh, uh, display whatever it is that we want, we can put on an act for people, put on a fence, whatever, whatever you want to call it, God sees beyond that. God sees past that. God sees your heart. God sees your struggles. God sees you right where you're at. And he can analyze that. In John chapters 2, or sorry, John chapters 3, 4, and 5, we see three different accounts of three different people who all came to Jesus Christ. The first in John chapter 3 is Nicodemus. He's a Pharisee. He's a man that knows religion. He's a man that's a religious leader. And he comes to Jesus by night. Uh, and, and, and in the conversation, we see that Jesus didn't just take him at face value as being somebody that was okay. Because the Pharisees, by their actions and by their following the law, they thought that they were right with God. But what did Jesus reveal to us and reveal to, to, to Nicodemus? That while he had religion, he didn't have life. Marvel not that I say unto you, you must be born again. In chapter 4, we see uh, the woman at the well. She was a woman uh, who, who had passion, a woman uh, who, uh, who uh, had many hidden things that Christ revealed. If you remember, uh, uh, he, he asked her the question, go get your husband. And what did that bring up? 
the fact that she'd had five, and the man that she was now with was not her husband. While, while she had passion, uh, what she didn't have was the, the power to break herself from the, from the sin that had bound her for her entire life. In chapter 5, we see the man by the pool of Bethesda. A man who had been lame for 38 years and, 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 and watched day after day after day as, as others uh, came to him, uh, or, uh, or, and as others came and, and just in the crowd of people. And when the waters would stir, he would do his best to get to the waters so that he could be healed. And day after day after day, he saw others being helped when he had no man to help. And Jesus came to him and said, do you, would you like to be healed? And what was his answer? I have no man to help. What Jesus saw was a man without hope. He has the, the ability to analyze you better than anybody. He has discernment and perception. He sees exactly what you need. He sees exactly what you are. Jeremiah 17, 9, 10 says this, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? The Lord's, or I the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. It's God that analyzes us. It's God that sees our hearts and sees us as we really are. The truth is, we don't even see ourselves as we really are. Nicodemus thought he was fine. The woman at the well, while an outcast in her society, didn't see any problem with the, with the life that she was living. It's this pattern. The man by the pool of Bethesda, blamed the fact that he didn't have anybody to help him. Not only is he, does he have the ability to analyze, he also has the ability to, uh, to apply that which does correct. In fact, in those three instances, Jesus said to Nicodemus, Marvel not that I say unto you, you must be born again. He saw him as one who had religion and not life, and he revealed to him the need that he had in his life. The woman at the well, he tells her in, in verse 10, Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knowest the gift of God and who it is that said to thee, Give me the drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. The man of the pool of Bethesda, Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made whole and took up his bed and walked. He sees us in our need. He sees us in our brokenness. He sees us in our weakness. But he doesn't leave us there. There's a, there's a song, Just as I am without one plea. I love that hymn. Because he doesn't require that I change. He gives me what I need to change. He can take the sinner sunken in sin, the one degraded by vice, and transform that child into a, an heir of glory, a child of light, uh, uh, filled with the holiness of God. He can take the weak and the helpless and in his own might use that one to, to the pulling down of strongholds. Uh, in, in his dealings with, with us in providence as well as in redemption, how wonderful he makes the light of God to shine out in darkness and makes crooked things straight. Let's not be afraid to expect wondrous work of the marvelous counselor in, in our life. 
And don't be afraid that God can't work. Trust him. Believe in him. Follow his wisdom. It is his delight to reveal to those who trust him the wonders of his love, power, and wisdom. There's no fear that God cannot calm. There is no child God that he cannot give peace. There is no question that he cannot answer. Come to him. He says, come unto me, all of you that labor, and I will give you rest. Our rest is in Christ. In salvation, absolutely. We can't earn our salvation. We can't strive for it. Well, we can do our best, but guess what? We're never going to accomplish it because we can't. We find rest in Christ. But listen, the rest that we have in Christ is not just salvation. We're not, it is not a golden ticket to heaven for us to get there. And, and I'm good for when I get to heaven, but then struggle all, all of our life. Now, I'm not saying you won't have struggles. I'm saying that you can have peace. I'm saying that we can seek after the wisdom of God, and he will grant us his wisdom, and that he will give us peace, that he will give us strength. There is no counselor like the Lord. Only Christ can rid you of your sin. Only Christ can make you whole. Only Christ can give you life. Only Christ can give you peace. He truly is counselor. Pray. Father God, I thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you that we can trust in you, not only for our salvation, but Lord, for all things. God, I thank you for your wisdom uh, that, you, that you give to us uh, through your word. I thank you, that, uh, Lord, that, that you grant it to us uh, happily, Father, if we but ask. God, I pray that you would help us to seek after your will and your way. Help us to come to you, Lord, not just to worship you, Lord, but to seek your direction. We read this morning in Psalms 25, Teach us your ways. God, teach us your ways. Show us your path. Guide us, Lord, that we might follow you, Lord. I pray that your hand be upon us. Lord, I pray that you would have your way in each one of our hearts. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Heads bowed.